Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you lovely lot are listening to this. Welcome to 11 Pieces of Me, the show where guests come on and take a trip down memory lane with some of their favourite players. It's not always about the best players, but players who mean something special to them and have given them memories throughout their childhood. I'm your host, Ali. Joining me this evening as my co-host, I have Ryan Goodman again. Ryan, welcome Hello. back. What? Hello, how's it going? Yeah, very well. It's hard to know which order these are going to come out in, so it's hard to know if you were here last week or, or when it is, but um, it's good to have you again. Yeah, it's good to it's good to be here. You know, It's nice to, to pop on every so often and uh, see what the lay of the land is. Yeah, no coincidence. The club side's doing well and, and positive, Ryan. Goodman. It certainly makes life easier. I'm not going to lie to you. You know, it's yeah. not... Don't have to get any abuse from anyone, so it's nice. Yeah, and, and unfortunately for, for me, um, our guest this evening is also a Chelsea fan, Mr Rob Prattley. Rob, thank you very much for joining us. Not a problem, thank you very much for having me. How easy was it putting your team together for this one? I mean, it was quite easy for a lot of positions. There was a couple of frustrating ones where discovering a player still playing at 39 in <laughs> Brazil and 42 in the Uzbek leagues. <laughs> that, that, a lot of positions picked for themselves again I did set myself a bit of an imposed challenge that there are five players I think that typify Chelsea in the last 20 years so I said naturally I'm only picking one of those five otherwise it'd be boring but uh, I think I've got an interesting team with some odd names in there excellent excellent well so for anyone new listening to us um, the rules are pretty simple they get to pick any formation 11 retired players um, and then we'll get them to choose a captain so Rob start us off what formation have you chosen so I've gone uh, for the very classic, in, enhanced by the legendary manager Mike Bassett, I've gone for the classic 4-4-2. <laughs> um, this was not due to the fact that said player in the, in the Uzbek leagues, uh, you know, completely ruined it. But no, I've, I've gone for this 4-4-2 because I think it means I could fit in as many. I did try initially a 3-4-3 three, three of a strange diamond midfield, but I realised if anyone ever tried to play that in real life, it would probably not end very well. This sounds like somebody taking it very seriously, Ryan. Yeah, you know, I like, I like, yeah, that's the way I like to think about it. You know, you've got to think about what the actual structure of the team would be. You know, we've had a lot of attacking teams before where, you know, if they get beaten on, if if someone passes through the lines, they're in big trouble with some really random defenders in there. So it's nice to see someone, you know, take a considered approach. Well then, let's start with the goalkeeper then, Rob. Who, where are we going? So we're going to Brazil for this one, uh, to Rodrigo Sene. Um, and he's probably quite a popular choice just because I, I, the idea of a goal of a keeper scoring goals, I find, is just absolutely hilarious. Um, just, you know, whenever it happens, it always makes the front page. And then you had Senny, who in his entire career sort of just made a habit of, of, of set pieces and taking them. Scored 65 times in his sort of career at Sao Paulo, became sort of a Sao Paulo legend, is now Flamengo manager, has managed all across Brazil in his time. But... Yeah, scored once from open play, scored from free kicks, scored from penalties. To me, it's just absolutely brilliant. And he was a great goalkeeper anyway. But just the sheer, you know, I suppose, audacity to sort of step up against your opposite number. I mean, in his best goal-scoring season, he got into double figures. Um, <laughs> which meant uh, when he was the top-scoring player in the team. Imagine how embarrassing that must be for you as your strikers when you're getting outscored and the person you're looking at, you know, in the dressing room... Keeping the clean sheets is outscoring you. So Senny is sort of more of one of those choices where I not really picked on his goalkeeping ability, but just picked on the fact he was bloody entertaining to watch. And I'd have loved to see him get a chance in Europe. Again, I think it wouldn't have ended as well in Europe because the amount of free kicks he took at times he could get away in sort of Brazil with the sort of slower pace of the game and the focus on sort of flair. Um, but if you know it comes to Europe, I think it would have ended in tears. But it was just absolutely wonderful to watch. And there are some amazing sort of clips of it. I recommend if anyone, you know, hasn't seen Senny's free kicks to look them up because they're not, you know, it's not a case of the keeper sort of getting it wrong every single time. He genuinely had such quality and precision on the deliveries. It made it brilliant. Yeah, Ryan, um, I think, were you on with me when Scott picked Senny and his first one that he did? Not on the first um, one, no. Oh, 
Uh, he's the only person that's picked Senny, believe it or not, Rob. Um, and it was a player, a goalkeeper I hadn't really heard of, but I've now since seen, you know, the YouTube clips that you talk about. I mean, Ryan, have you heard of Senny or know about him? I hadn't. I mean, if someone ever says to me about a goal-scoring goalkeeper, it's usually the other one. Um, what's his name? Chilvert? Chilvert, yeah. Chilvert, yeah. So, I think, for, for, in my circles, I think he was the, you know, the man that'd be, that'd be the goal-scoring goalkeeper. I'm having a look. How long was his career? I mean, it's like 92 to 2015. I, I had a very, very... That's outrageous. Uh, 20, 23, 27 years, is it? Yeah, based on the fact that he's for, based on the fact he's forty eight now, he must have retired quite late. He started in nineteen ninety. His youth career started in eighty seven and then retired in twenty fifteen. Incredible, yes. That's outrageous, isn't it? I mean, I guess you you can get away with it a little bit more uh, as a goalkeeper, but I, I've always loved the idea of goalkeepers taking free kicks and stuff like that. It's just it's weirdly like not arrogant, but to be able to think I can take a free yeah. kick. And even if it goes badly, I can still get back and recover it. There's a common theme in this team where like, I have picked some of the players that are the best free kick takers I've seen in <laughs> world football. Um, and so I think that's probably a good sort of point to sort of um, move on to. Again, I, I, I love long-range screamers. So the right-back choice, he was only at my club Chelsea for a couple of years, but Giuliano Belletti, um, he scored, I think, five times in total for Chelsea and every single one was a worldie. Would just pick it up sort of 30 yards out and just decide, you know, I'm Belletti, I'm going to have a shot. And so often they would just scream to the top corner. There was one he scored against Spurs that got goal of the season. And as soon as, you know, you score an important goal against Spurs, you get cult hero status. Um, he also, I remember him particularly at one point, uh, sort of completely decking Sammy and Azri with a slide tackle um, in front of the shed end, which, again, is another good way to assert cult hero status. But Belletti was one of those players that throughout his career was sort of incredibly underused and underrated. People forget he scored the winner in a Champions League final, um, was sort of part of a wonderful Barcelona team, and came to Chelsea sort of towards the end of his career, but even still was just one of those players when, in 2010, what really amazed me about Chelsea is there was a squad of players where so many of them, you could put them in any position, and they would be impressive, and Belletti could just play almost anywhere. I mean, the majority of the time was at right-back, but could play in the midfield, could play on the wide right, could probably play, you know... At centre back, you were that desperate, uh, and yeah, just sort of the the utility man, I suppose, in this squad. But another just absolute massive favourite of mine. And again, I, I'm a big, mo- I'm a member of the fullback union myself, so he's sort of you know goal scoring fullback always ticks some boxes. Yeah, Ryan, a player you'll have more memories about than me. I mean, yeah, Rob's absolutely right. Absolutely right. Any time he'd score, it would always be an absolute joke of a goal. <laughs> like it, I've seen you know. You, I think I can't remember what when it was. Even a few weeks ago, and there was a Chelsea YouTube video of top top goals against someone in particular. It probably was that goal against uh, Spurs, as you say. And he just pops up in a lot of these goal of the season reels um, from Chelsea perspective, where he just picks it up and he's got no right to even shoot, let alone score. And it just always ended up in the top corner. Uh, and he was a great he was a great right back for us. You know, he did. You know, some of those crunching tackles, as you said, Rob, and, and just in general, very utility player. And he probably didn't have, you know, a huge amount to do for it in, in that sense. But he, he's well well thought of because he was just a good player. He went in and did his job and then scored the occasional worldie as well. And I, I mean, I think I think if you talk about sort of um, that in the fullback position, I think, you know, the consistency is the big thing. Um, moving sort of on to my centre half pairing, you couldn't probably have the two more odd players. I've gone for Kevin O'Connor at Brentford. Um, I used to watch a lot of Brentford, uh, sort of growing up, um, for sort of various reasons. I used to sort of get free tickets to sort of get down to, um, Griffin Park. And one of the, like, mainstays of Brentford over the last sort of, um, 15 years, everything else would change and then the rest of it would just be Kevin O'Connor at the back. He was sort of club legend, one of the all-time sort of appearance holders, a fussy, sort of a non-fussy, no-nonsense centre-back, just, you know, wasn't a ball-playing player by any stretch of the imagination, a kick-it-head-it centre-back, but such a great leader, and now involved in the backroom staff, he is, to a lot of people in this modern era, Mr Brentford, and a one-club man, you know, 
is such a great thing to see. So had to sort of include him just because I loved watching him. He was sort of one of those players that knew his limitations, didn't try and sort of beat them, but just sort of just generally did, you know, did what you need as a full, as a centre back at the lower league levels. Yeah, Ryan, I imagine you'd be similar to me and don't really know. I know no, no idea. <laughs> yeah, what I appreciate about it is, you know, the one club and he's now coaching there as well. Um, according to Wikipedia, Rob, I assume yeah. that's... Now, that's now, right. now coaching at the club, yeah. Yeah, excellent. I mean, got got some cats for Republic Ireland, so, well, the under-21 side, but still, you know, couldn't have been, like, terrible player and just to stay in, it's just... More, more on his coaching side. He, he must be a good coach as well because Brentford are playing some lovely stuff in the championship at the moment. So that's about as much as I can touch on. I mean, Ryan, you'll be looking at the same as me. I take it just the, the Wikipedia scrolling through, scrolling through Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I did promise you some interesting names. This one you might be more familiar with. Um, Ricardo Cavallo. I mean, I again, I've spent, I've been on a podcast before about Portuguese football. And we spent about three hours off camera just talking about him because I absolutely love the man. He came in and just him and John Terry at the back for Chelsea. You just sort of saw them on the team sheet. And I imagine opposition strikers just thought, well, we're not scoring today. Just absolutely brilliant. A wonderful defender. Could play it about himself as well, but so good at, you know, the light and the dark arts of defending. Did pop up with some crucial goals um, as well and was a brilliant servant at the club. Possibly, in my opinion, sold a little bit too early when he played for Real Madrid, as was the pedigree sort of of the player. And uh, ironically, is now I think assistant coach at Monaco and has picked up um, more yellow cards than some of his defenders this season from the bench. <laughs> so proving that old habits never die. But yeah, absolutely, just love Ricardo. Which is a, the image of him sort of like just sweeping through and just slide tackling someone is one of those things that always just been ingrained in my mind and sort of typifies. Mourinho's Chelsea just cover just come out of nowhere and sliding through someone. Yeah, look, Carvalho's phenomenal. My my only critique of him, and it's very harsh because it's nothing to do with him. It's just to do with all the twats who follow English football that just don't give John Terry any credit mm. because they try to put all his goodness on Carvalho. Mm. Um, and that that's the only thing that again, it's not nothing on Carvalho. I just I thought Terry was incredible, and I, I'm sick of hearing that Carvalho carried Terry. But I mean, Ryan again, a player that I'm I'm much more aligned to let you speak on. I think they were both as good each, good as each other. In you know, they, they complemented each other so well in that sense. Where Terry was very very good at the sort of last pitch tackle and blocking, whereas Carvalho. As you said, Rob, you know, he'd be sliding in out of nowhere and he'd probably have a little bit more indeed pace about him than, than Terry would. So the, the complement of each other, I mean, their legacy uh, as that centre-back pairing and, and what they achieved in terms of not conceding anything, I cannot see that being surpassed anytime soon. Uh, I, I cannot think of, of a pair of, of defenders who were as good as a combination but, you know, check in there as well in terms of that three. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I cannot see anyone getting close to the level of performance. And, you know, that some credit, I guess, has to go to Mourinho in that scenario of uh, setting the team up in the way that it was. But, I mean, he was he was so instrumental to that whole thing. And mm. he, he's a top-class player. Well, one thing I will say of that Chelsea sort of side that you look at from, and certainly 2006 after Cole came in, you had sort of um, Ferrer, who sort of led by example in the way he sort of played. Carvalho and Terry, that were both leaders on the pitch. Cech, who was a leader on the pitch and led by example. And Cole, who was sort of a real vocal player on the pitch. I don't think, you know, and then you move forward up the pitch and you had SCN and Lampard, and sort of another one of the players who's going to come into my list sort of later. And then also sort of Drogba up front. And you had sort of eight leaders on the pitch. And I can't think of many, you know, Chelsea certainly don't boast that now. And I can't think of anyone in the Premier League nowadays where you could look at that and have so many big, strong characters on the pitch that, you know, if you went a goal down, as rare as it happened, the thing is, even when it happened with that and that team, you didn't expect it to last because you just knew that, you know, they were going to find the other gear. They were going to sort of, you know, snap into action, whether it's by the carrot or the stick. Sort of, you know, they were just going to turn it round. And I mean, that defensive record in... Yeah, the 0405 is just nuts. I think, was it nine goals conceded from open play? Yeah. All season? 15 overall, wasn't it, yeah. I think? Yeah. From open play all season. Would have gone invincible if not for a dodgy penalty 
One by Nicholas and Elka, ironically. Um, <laughs> and uh, would have, you know, would have gone invincible otherwise. And people, like, people, I think, forget and they look back at it because they see Mourinho sort of nowadays and they sort of, you know, paint this caricature of him. And I, I don't like it when Chelsea fans sort of do that. They should remember that in his first spell in charge, I think it's un- it's not unfair to say Mourinho was the best manager in world football. And, uh, you know, that 0405 side, I don't think you will see a more... I think you'll maybe see more aesthetically pleasing teams in the Premier League. I don't think you'll see a more complete side in terms of winning in the Premier League and a better side at getting the lead, winning, sort of holding the lead and ultimately winning. And Carvalho was such a huge, huge part of that. Yeah. If you compare it against current sides, I'd, from what, you know, thinking back on it, we, we weren't, I guess football has obviously changed in, in the years since. But even though we played... I guess it's slightly defensively minded once we did take the lead. You know, you, you see how the result, that was the plan. You know, I can't remember it being the same type of possession heavy football as it is today in terms of left to right, right to left, etc. You know, I think the way that we played is almost we let the people have the ball and we were confident enough in the fact of you're not going to score against us. You can have the ball. We'll let you, we'll let you run around. We'll just, we'll just shuffle. We're happy just to shuffle around and let you tie yourself up trying to break us down, whereas now it's more a case of when you get a lead, actually a lot of teams then, right, let's pass it. And there's also, I think, more the fan expectation now. I think in that first spell where you had the perfect sort of storm when he came in because the fans wanted Chelsea to do well and to win a league, and I think they were happy to take a more, you know, at-whatever-cost mentality to it. And there was more of an acceptance of that, whereas nowadays with the evolution of sort of tick-attacker football and Gagan pressing... And all of these sort of, you know, modern footballing buzzwords, there's less of a, you know, teams can't afford to do that. And like when Wolves came to Stamford Bridge in Tuchel's first game and just, you know, offered absolutely nothing for 90 minutes. If there'd been fans in the stadium, the Wolves fans wouldn't have let them do that because they'd have been absolutely appalled at that performance. I mean, they'd have probably got booed off. Um, and even though a point at Stamford Bridge isn't a bad result. But yeah, no, Kavaya just has to stick in there for me. Um Moving on to my next pair, and again, your you know, free kicks are going to be a bit of a habit in this, but uh, Ian Hart. Um, I only saw Ian Hart once live in his um, career. I watched him an awful lot on television, but it was against Chelsea, against Reading in 2012. Now, bear in mind, Chelsea had become champions of Europe about a month before. It was the deb- home debut for Eden Hazard, and you know Chelsea were expected to play this swashbuckling attacking football. Reading gave us a real scare. They went 2-1 up. I was sort of there, Pogrebniak scored, and I think Danny Guthrie scored. And Chelsea made it 2-2, Cahill scored from about 40-odd yards following a keeper mistake, and then Torres tapped in from about three yards offside. Like, I'm still to the day not sure how the um, referee sort of didn't see it. And then they got a free kick through Ian Hart about 30 yards out, and I was absolutely terrified. That's the most terrified I think I've ever been at a live match. More terrified so than when I've seen people sort of staring down... Um, Petacek at the penalty spot, or when before I had Edison Cavani going in one-on-one against Chelsea in 2012. Ian Hart going up against, you know, with a free kick 30 yards out, and he took it and hit the crossbar. And it was so close to being, you know, just an absolutely wonderful moment for a guy who was getting his first chance in the Premier League in that season. Um, sort of having perennially been a journeyman, been at Leeds, been at Levante, been at Sunderland, been at Blackpool, Carlisle, Bournemouth. And I've just always really loved goal-scoring fullbacks. And, yeah, 459 appearances, 73 goals. I mean, roughly a goal every, what, six games for a full-back? Shows you're doing something right. And so many of them were memorable, sort of wonderful strikes. He now apparently works as an agent, which is a bit disappointing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just, you know, one of those random players that I just always really like watching and just thought, you know, he's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> so probably not one that I don't either of you are sort of expecting to see in this team, but... When you, when you hear yeah, when you hear a free kick taking specialist uh, left back especially, uh, Ian Hart's probably not the first name that you <laughs> the first name that you go to. You know, you're thinking. I could have my name's sake, but um, I already wrote down Roberto Carlos. Yeah, I was, I was getting ready, like I'm thinking long runner. Uh, yeah. I, I, I I nearly I nearly did I nearly did pick my namesake, but the I tried to sort of pick names that people aren't always going to talk about on. It's a good, it's, it's a great sure thing for that exact reason because it is so different and. I think I do remember that game as well. And yeah, Hazard's first game. and, and he's... Yeah, Hazard late on would go on one-on-one and everyone was screaming for him to put it into the empty net after Federici came up for um, 
a corner and instead he squared it to Ivanovic, who for some reason had made sort of about a 40 yard, no, sort of an 80 yard run to sort of get. The for some reason, game. despite, you know, <laughs> never needing to be at that part of the pitch at yeah, that point in the game. But. Exactly that, yeah. It wasn't Fernando, Fernando Torres was on the pitch and was somewhere back on the halfway line as the striker, but Ivanovic was up there ready to claim that glory. <laughs> What a weird career path though for Ian Hartwell. Like, leads to then Levante to then Sunderland. It's 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 a bit of a a, a, a weird skewed uh, set of moves there in in a weird. I just absolutely absolutely love it. And you know, it's most member moment at Leeds scoring a freak against Deportivo La Coruña in the Champions League. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, look at that. So that's a different sort of era altogether nowadays. Leeds in the Champions League. Who would have thought it? Um, but. Yeah, no, I remember. Yeah, there was rumours that Ian Hart was going to join Barcelona in 2004. That would have been a bit of a different yeah. thing, wouldn't it? That would have been <laughs> Carlos Puyo and Ian Hart in the back in the line for Barcelona. That would have been. But when he joined Levante, they were, you know, they were as proper. They were one of the um, sort of big clubs in Spain, and one of sort of, you know, they sort of had a yeah. They were up to they were up to this, and they sort of, you know, the year before missed out just on Champions League football. I mean, it's the sort of thing you see on FM where. <laughs> you see, I mean, you see, Duma, and you just pick him up, and then they do brilliantly, and that's sort of how I imagine sort of his career at Reading was like. They picked him up on the cheap, and he did really well for a couple of years, and yeah, named in the PFA Team of the Year, scored ten goals, kept fourteen clean sheets, and then yeah, you know, just the sort of thing that I I've always really liked goal scoring fullbacks, and I make no sort of qualm for that. <laughs> um, I love the pick. I love the heart. <laughs> um, Mainly from the Leeds days, as you say, the free kicks, solid left back. Um, he was always good for international as well at the time. Mm. Um, as I say, I had to score out Roberto Carlos. I just, I was a hundred percent certain that's where you'll go when you said attack, get goal scoring left back. Um, I, I tried to, I, I tried to avoid the the obvious names where possible in this because some of them are, you know, quite obvious. But I think I'll go to one of the if we go to the right mid, um, sort of now the player who I think his career went downhill since he left Chelsea, and he subsequently said it in an interview, but by God was he good when he was there, Damien Duff. Like, Damien Duff is the first player I had on a shirt. Um, I'm happy to admit that way back when. And oh, Duff and Robin on the wing, again, another thing that just typifies that Mourinho team for me. Duff was one of those players that didn't necessarily put the numbers up that you expect. Of a, nowadays, people have a checkered view of wingers because they expect them to score sort of, you know, a zillion goals because Messi and Ronaldo do it. But you look at people like Duff that were just so threatening and direct. I mean, 14 goals in 81 appearances for Chelsea from 03 to 06 doesn't look impressive. But you just, you know, he's a vital part of that side. And you ask most, like, Chelsea fans to go through the key players in that era and Duff will be somewhere up near the top of the list. Because he was another picked up by, sort of, Ranieri, who then Mourinho sort of um, came in and just sort of, brought him up that extra sort of level. And Iron Robin coming in under Mourinho, I think spurred Duff on to even sort of greater heights. They started to use that, you know, right wing side. And the Duff and Robin partnership, you sort of had Chelsea able to put Drogba sort of up front and then have Duff and Robin either side sort of running off of him. And there was so much, so much pace. And Duff also partly gets in just for that crucial goal against Barcelona in the 4-2 win in the Champions League. Um, because... <laughs> I remember that. That was one of those nuts games where I remember watching that live and Chelsea going three up in about sort of 20 minutes against this almighty sort of Barcelona side that people are sort of talking myth about and there's sort of Ronaldinho there and it was just, you know, an absolutely wonderful um, sort of team. And again, he scored the uh, semi-final goal against Manchester United in the League Cup. So another reason that I'd sort of just really like Duff. He was one of those players that was... You sort of noticed more when he wasn't there than when he was there because of the amount of, you know, running and energy he got through off the ball and the threat he sort of posed directly. And I was sad when Duff left to Newcastle again. He wanted to play more regularly. Um, and at the time, obviously, Newcastle was sort of, you know, in and around the UEFA Cup as well. So it's sort of, you know, a move to a similar sort of level club. But his career was never sort of really ever the same. And, yeah, I just sort of think that, I, I just think, you know, he's one of those players, one of those real big what-ifs to me. If What if Duff and Robin had perhaps stayed for a bit longer? Would Chelsea have, you know, perhaps gone a completely different way in the last sort of um, 10 years or so? Because I think 
after he left Chelsea, Bayern's own admittedly his performances started to dwindle. He wasn't very happy. He himself sort of says, you know, he views himself as sort of being a Chelsea sort of fan. Um, and then, yeah, just sort of drifted around a little bit, had some spells in Melbourne before going back to the League of Ireland and then retired a long time ago now in 2015. Yeah. But just seems, yeah, now Republic of Ireland's sort of first team coach, but one of those players that I've just always, well, to me, will typify that Mourinho era because that's the era I sort of, you know, grew up on as sort of Chelsea and that early sort of, I've gone all the way through from sort of the 2000s all the way sort of through. And I remember sort of before that, and there were other names that sort of nearly made it into um, this sort of list. Uh, Hullet was really, really close. Viali was very close. But ultimately, I've gone for Duff because I think he's another one where he's not an obvious choice, but he's someone that if you ask a Chelsea fan to have a positive sort of, you know, to talk about Damien Duff, they'll only talk in positive terms. The only regret will be that he left so early. Yeah, I sometimes forget that he played for Chelsea. Do you know that? Because... Not because he wasn't a good player and not he didn't do anything for Chelsea, but he he, he was almost that forgotten man at Chelsea because he, he you know he didn't as you say he didn't score many goals he didn't there wasn't even many assists but he was that he's always that solid seven eight out of ten every single week um, and he was crucial to everything that Chelsea did at that time. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry Ryan, but I, I will refer it back to Liverpool in a way back then. He was very similar to the the Dirk Coit role. You know, for for Liverpool and or even like Park Ji Sung at United. Yeah. You know, they don't they they very rarely like flatter to deceive type players, but they are so crucial, especially especially in the big games because they always turn up. You know, they never let you down in those games. They never go missing. Um, I mean, Alex Ferguson used to always say that Park Ji Sung was the first name in the team sheet in those big games, a bit like a Darren Fletcher in the middle of the park. Um, when Liverpool played Man United, Dirk Coit was always the man to mark Ronaldo um, back then because he knew just it was relentless. And, and Damien Duff was very similar, out, especially as you said, you know, you had you had Robin at the time, um, who was more of the not the flair player as such, but you know that luxury player that you don't you, you don't want players like that having to work like so hard for ninety minutes. So if you've got a player like Duff who's willing to give you hundred and ten percent for ninety minutes of a game. It's just, you know, they're, they're, they're like gold. Um, I totally forgot he went to Newcastle. My biggest memories are the, the Blackburn days. But, um, Ryan, I'll come over to you because, again, another player you must have loved back then. Yeah, and I think, as, as Rob said, you know, I can't think of, of any Chelsea fan that would say anything bad or, or, you know, not positive about him because he was just insanely consistent in a good way in terms of, you know, he definitely would, would contribute and chip in with the goals. And I think, Rob, as you said, you know, in terms of the, the 14 goals, you know, in, in the 81 appearances, I mean, that's actually in that, at that time, in that Mourinho-esque season, when actually when you go one or two goals up, you, you don't end up scoring a ton more. You know, that goal ratio is actually pretty good in that sense, because actually the opportunity to score more probably wasn't there as much as, as it probably would be today. Mm. But he he just continued to he always offered it and and you had as your point about Robin you know and they but they both worked so well together on opposite sides of the pitch you know they offered each other that way of you know and the, they'd often swap sides and they were integral to the way that each other each other played and I, I compare it to a player like and I, Rob I hope you don't think this is better considering it's a just former chess player. Someone like Willian, for example, would be good one in six games. That's yeah. that's my you know. Yeah. Whereas Damien Duff, good every game. Every game. Yeah, he wouldn't he wouldn't, he wouldn't be stand out every game. Don't get me wrong, but he he would never put in a game where you thought, you know what, I don't think you played very well. Whereas there are other players like Willian where you think you'd watch him for four or five games and think you've offered absolutely nothing. Yeah. What one hundred percent? To me, the sort of modern equivalent of Duff, if you're looking for one at Chelsea, is Pedro. Because I find it very hard to remember games where I looked at Pedro in a Chelsea shirt and thought, what are you actually offering here? Because even when he wasn't necessarily scoring or assisting, he always just put that absolute sort of shift in. Whereas the frustration for me with William was that, OK, there were there was this sort of myth about William and it continues sort of in his arsenal about this sort of, you know, incredible work rate. William runs around with the ball a lot, but a lot of the time it was sort of, either dribbling down alleyways or just doing far too much. And you look at that, you know, 
goal ratio, and again, I hate banging on about goal ratios of wingers because I think you know they've been clouded by the fact people just look at everything and compare it to Messi and Ronaldo nowadays, and in or her or Holland and Mbappe, and suddenly say, oh, you know, it's terrible. But the problem for me with Willian is that if you if you suck Willian in that 2014 in the place of Duff, you wouldn't be anywhere near as effective as Damien Duff. If that that's my best way, I think I can sum it. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, agreed. Because it it's not just about being good when you pick up the ball and, and you can score goals and contribute that way but it's about the, the the work ethic off the ball and that's something that Mourinho I mean hell, that's why Kevin De Bruyne never made it at Chelsea because yeah. when he when he was with us he didn't put in the work obviously bad decision when you look at it now but he wasn't the player that was going to suit the system that he was playing and that but Duff was the epitome of that type of player where the epitome he, of Mourinho player and that's he, why I was so surprised he was sold yeah but no, it's a great pick. I, I loved, I loved Duff for what he did for us. Uh, moving on from from Damien Duff, who uh, the one who has a, a comment on Wikipedia, that I actually am responsible for adding for arguably the best goal scored at the stadium, uh, and a name that probably is going to make you scratch heads. You may remember from his Rangers days, but Peter Levin, um, he was at Oxford United, and that's when I became familiar with the man. My dad is an Oxford fan, a long-suffering Oxford fan. And um, I used to go down to games at the Kassam. They've been sort of promoted out of uh, the conference under Chris Wilder, now obviously Sheffield United. And um, Oxford were... Uh, Oxford played a bit like sort of... Um, a very defensive, very functional sort of side. But they have these one or two players, and another one's Alfie Potter, who sort of, you know, I used to call sort of the um, League 2 Messi, because he'd just do things that blew your mind. He's not retired now, sadly. He couldn't feature. But he, um, Peter Levin, <laughs> Peter Levin used to just stroll around like Eric Cantona in League 2. It was quite <laughs> funny, actually. Um, like, you know, he was just so unbelievably better, technically, than everyone else. And sort of fitness-wise, it wasn't really there, which is why he ended up, you know, having, he had loads of knee problems throughout his career and retired sort of before the age of 30. But on his sort of... Um, was first Oxford appearance. He uh, sort of set up both Oxford goals in a two-one win against Arthur of Swindon um, for the first victory at the county ground in a long, long time. Uh, I think 30, yes, the 38 years in Wikipedia. And then on the 29th of October, he scored the best goal I've ever seen live in a game against Port Vale. A pretty boring game. Tom Pope had given Port Vale the lead, as you know, Mr. Port Vale always does. But Levin picked up the ball inside his own half, spots the keeper off his line, and lobbed him from sort of just before the centre circle. Now, bear in mind, I, you know, I, I had a look on YouTube. I couldn't find the goal, unfortunately, because if I did, I would, you know, be screaming that this is the bet. You know, you have to include the clip of it. But absolutely, just brilliant. One of the best goals. He went absolutely nuts, and he got the chant, Peter Levin. He does what he wants because after that, he would just do what he wants in games. You'd see all sorts of absurd bits of skill for players in League Two, sort of roulettes for days, just going on mazy dribbles, sort of from centre mid. And he never really had that footballer's sort of, you know. Build as per se, he always looked quite a sort of stocky guy, but just sort of technically was absolutely brilliant and was such a sort of cult hero to sort of watch. Just absolutely brilliant to um sort of watch and yeah, just he only spent a couple of years at Oxford, but it was long enough to be one of my favourite players I've watched in all time. Scored sort of I think yeah ten goals in fifty sort of almost sixty appearances in um sort of all competitions, sixty seven twelve in all sort of comps for Oxford, but yeah, just sort of did outrageous things. Some of his other goals were sort of scorching long-range strikes, took a couple of free kicks as well. And just one of those players that, sort of one of those random players that you just enjoyed watching. And especially for an Oxford side at the time that didn't really have a lot of flair and relied on sort of Chris Wilder using a very sort of physical, rugged side. To have someone like that who was just really, really sort of that sheer bit of quality was just sort of a surprise and just really fun to watch. Yeah, Ryan, I'm stumped on this one. I'm uh, stumped again. You know, you... Just googled him and um, <laughs> bear in mind he's Scottish. Played played in the Scottish Premier League for seven years. I've never even heard of the name, so um, I'm guessing you'll be mo- even more stumped than me because if I don't know him, nothing that I've got now. I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, Rangers for four years. I know he didn't play, but normally the name would you know ring a bell. And then Kilmarnock for three seasons, sixty-five appearances. So you know he made a decent amount of league appearances at the time as well. Um, I- yeah, it's a strange one, that one for me. Um, I'm glad you had enough to talk about, to be fair, Rob, there. Yeah? I'll also throw in the fact that after he left, um, sort of he ended up uh, being appointed at Kilmarnock in a coaching role and then left when Lee McCulloch left. But then in 2018, he randomly ended up at the Belarusian club Dynamo Brest 
with Marcel <laughs> Litscher, and they won the Belarusian Premier League and two Super Cups. Lost only one game under his th- the 38 years of him being a si- 38 match with being assistant head coach and uh, qualified for the Champions League for the first time. And again, I just think it's a <laughs> wonderful story. And I remember, I remember distinctly again on FM. I specifically on one of my saves went out the way to poach Peter Levin, assistant <laughs> 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 head coach. I, I love that game for little quirks like that. Yeah, I'd specifically, I, I, you know, I, I felt bad because after that, Brest went to pieces <laughs> because he was manager. But I poached him to, um, sort of, this was one of the Chelsea saves, and uh, I, the board were very confused and unhappy about the appointment. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't qualified, but I was delighted. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I love the pick again. I love the story that you had, the the, the goal. Um, I wish we could find the goal to even. I will try and find the board it. It is, it's one of those ones where it's that good that I, you know, I'm, I've spent a long time trying to find it because it's that, that good a goal. Um, okay. So when this podcast comes out, anybody listening, if you can find this goal or you have it on a cell phone anywhere, please attach it to us. Oh, I think I may have just, I may have just found it. So I will. Very exciting. I, I always love to see a goal like that. Like, you just love to see someone. It was it won the mitre, it won mitre goal of the year. So then, <laughs> that's the sort of, if that isn't an accolade, I don't know what is. Um, that's his greatest achievement in his career, personally. Honestly, it is. Honestly, it, is, it probably is. But I will, I'll share it to the chat, because this is, this is indeed it. And then I'll let you share this when the podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> The defining goal. But uh, moving on to his partner in centre mid, again, you probably couldn't get further away from this. Um, the Kaiser, Michael Bauck. Oh, all right, OK. Michael Bauck, I could spend ages talking about Michael Bauck. <laughs> I, to this day, I still don't quite understand how Chelsea managed to sign Michael Bauck on a free transfer. It would be the equivalent nowadays of, you know, just being able to go out and sign Bruno Fernandes on a free transfer. Uh, just an absolute Rolls Royce of a footballer. Everything Bauck did was quality. Every single thing. The mentality was amazing. Sort of, you know, he just came in with that belief and that sheer sort of ability. He spent four years at Chelsea, scored 17 goals and 105 apps and just, yeah, one of my favourite players of all time. Loved him at Bayern, was delighted when he came to Chelsea. Just wore the number 13 shirt and sort of made that no longer being one of the unlucky numbers. Unlucky for some, but certainly not for him. Just an absolute Rolls Royce of a footballer. Was captain of his national team. Um... Reached the Champions League final with us, won the FA Cup with us, won the league with us. Um, just, yeah, one of my favourite players of all time. Just so silky, so smooth, so brilliant. Had the mentality, had the ability, had absolutely everything you want from a midfielder. Um, and just sort of came in and just looked so, so wonderful. Just one of my absolute, but the sort of the midfield of Lampard, Balak and SCM at Chelsea to me is the best live midfield I ever watched because there was so much. Just ability and quality in yeah, there. My, my favourite thing about him was the number of his shot. It was my lucky number. So, <laughs> yeah. but um, Ryan again, it's, it's all Chelsea players, mate. So normally you've, you're you're having to like research the player to talk about them. So I'm going to just step aside and let you talk about him again. I love him. I, d- I, I can't remember if I, if I I think he was either an honorary mention or I picked him in my team. Um, but he was just, he's so good. And he scored a couple of like key goals for us. I think he got a brace against United, mm. I think. And just everything he did was just pure quality, whether it was the calmness when he picked up a ball, the way he could drive from midfield once he'd picked that ball up and, and get into a new position. Um, and I love the fact that he still interacts with the club today as well. It's always nice to see him popping up on social media saying what the score's going to be uh, in the game coming up for Chelsea. And he's just... It plays like that that not only come to Chelsea, and, and especially uh, how we got him on a free transfer, you know, yeah. unbelievable. But for him, players like that that come in make such a big difference, leave and then still have that connection to the club, shows you not only how much the fans love and appreciate him, but also just the general impact of him and, and what he thought of us as a club as well. Um, but yeah, I've got such a, such a big appreciation of him. And he, he wore that. He was, you know, I can, I remember him, you know, in that team where we had the shirt with the, the white collar with the gold trim. Yeah. Um, which is pretty much my favorite 
uh, Chelsea shirt pretty much of all time. And, you know, the team of, the, of that year and everything was just great. So he was a good, great player. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, again, I'll end on sort of my favourite lame joke that I like to make to my German football friends that I say that uh, Chelsea have robbed uh, Bayern twice in my lifetime, once in 2012 <laughs> and once in 2006. <laughs> My favourite very bad joke that I like to make. And on the topic of uh, Germany, I'll stay with another player, Bundesliga legend, who came in uh, sort of a bit later. But uh, Juan, Ar- Juan Arango, or better, as his full name is, Juan Fernando Arango Science. Uh, you're probably both scratching your heads and wondering who. I started watching Bundesliga highlights in around 2009-2010. The man was at Borussia Mönchengladbach, and by God, did he score some crackers. Like, he used to, his left foot was absolutely, probably one of the best in the world. He scored, you know, from 48 yards, from 50 yards, from 30 yards, just from wherever. Arango would get the ball, just have a yard of space, and just think, I'll just have a crack on this, and it would fly in. It was absolutely brilliant, just absolutely wonderful. Just one of those midfielders, again, that didn't put huge numbers up, but was just so, so good. And... You know, he went back to Mexico at age sort of 34. In the five years he spent in Gladbach, he became sort of, you know, a cult hero and a club legend. And is still, I, I, you know, I know friends who are Gladbach fans and they sort of, you know, still consider him to be one of the best players of the last sort of, you know, 20 years, sort of 30 years at the club. He's considered by some to be the greatest Venezuelan footballer of all time. So take that, Salomon Rondon. Um, and yeah, he, just, he got nicknamed Arangol because of his dead ball sort of specialism, his ability from free kicks and bending the ball, and again, there are some, you know, just crazy, crazy goals. And I came into Bundesliga highlights sort of around them when Gladbach were, they won the league during that time with um, Marco Royce and Juan Arango, and it was just an absolutely unbelievable, unbelievable combination. Just absolutely deadly. <laughs> Ryan, did I ask? No idea again, but, you know, I, I have got an important, but, you know, normally, you know, at the end, we'll, we'll ask who the captain is. But I feel like I'm going to have to ask who your free kick taker is at this point because <laughs> you've got so many options, you know. You know, if this was for Wednesday, you'd be like, well, on the left, short, you'd have this person. Right, long, you'd have this person. So, <laughs> yeah, I just, there's so many people in there that, that are great dead ball specialists, which is great. But, yeah, no, not not too much about the player. Um, you know, he's just even scrolling through Wikipedia now, but that's that's why we do this show. <laughs> Just one of my absolute random sort of favourite sort of players, and again one of those ones that when he sort of his contract would run out at um, sort of uh, Gladbach on FM12 probably and FM13, I would always just try and tempt him to random Championship clubs just for one season of dead ball because you'd sign him and you know you wouldn't expect anything from him, but if you got a dead ball in a key game, you'd just bring him on and let him take it and he would score it. And I, I remember one. Again, one specific sort of save. Again, this shows what FM sad I am. But I remember one of them where I just brought him on, I think, in a playoff final, being 1-0 down, and got two dead balls and turned it round. And he didn't touch it for the rest of the game. But it was <laughs> too late for he kicks and turned it round. And that's also why I love Juan Arango. Um, <laughs> moving on to a one that I think you'll be a lot more familiar with. The last two I think you probably, hopefully, both will have heard of. Uh, a certain little man from Sardinia, uh, Gianfranco Zola. Now, Zola was coming to the end of his career, A, when he joined, or was sort of felt like being passed it over the hill when he joined Chelsea. I mean, he joined Chelsea at 30, and nowadays, when, when do you ever see a club sign someone who's age 30? If you do that on social media, you know, the fans are saying, oh, it's retirement, oh, it's a pension. Zola was just brilliant. I, I run out of words to describe Gianfranco Zola because he's just so marvellous. He was one of those players that you just, you know, you just enjoyed watching whoever you played for, and I'm sure, you know, okay, people would get annoyed when he scored against them. But I'm sure it's just one of those players like Cantona and stuff like that, the great entertainers of football, where when they were on the pitch, they infinitely made the game better and just made it better. Whoever you were watching, whoever you were sort of playing for and came to sort of Chelsea um, sort of in, in 96 and was one of those sort of great grand transfers that helped transform the club from sort of being, you know, this side that was sort of battling in the top 10 to being battling towards European places. And you had sort of Zola, uh, Hullet, Viali. And just such a wonderful team. I mean, you know, if Alex Ferguson describes you as a clever little so-and-so, because mm. you embarrass arguably the greatest goalkeeper of his generation in Peter Schmeichel, then you know you're pretty good. And, yeah, just absolutely wonderful sort of footballer. Scored, scored key goals on the way to the FA Cup in 97. 
scored a wonderful, wonderful goal against Wimbledon where he just, you know, back heels and then turns and then just slots it home. Won the accolade about playing a full season in English football. The first Chelsea player to win player of the year. Won multiple more trophies. Scored a pro hat-trick. And then the moment to me that always captures Zola is that goal against Norwich. I remember this being one of the first live games I watched in full. That back heel volley against Norwich. Oh, oh my God, yeah. Yeah, oh my goodness. It's just absolutely wonderful to watch the sort of just brilliant sort of thing. Back heel volley from a corner. Uh, you know, lit up an FA Cup tie and just an absolutely incredible... Incredible goal. In his final, you know, year, still scored 16 goals in his final season, and late on came on in that key game against Liverpool, and then beat, you know, beat a number of players. And I still remember there's a clip of him in the corner. He's got the ball, and Carrigan can't get off of him, and eventually he just <laughs> turned, he puts him out of his misery by just turning him and just speeding away. And yeah, just absolutely wonderful, wonderful footballer, just absolutely magnificent. No surprise that anyone, no one's been scared enough to take the number 25 shirt again. Because I think if someone takes that, they've got to be a, a talented, talented player indeed. Um, didn't really get the international recognition that he deserved because Italy had such an incredible, incredible squad at yeah, the time. It was the wrong time, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly that. But just, yeah, absolutely wonderful. And uh, yeah, I could wax lyrical for Zola more and more again. But another, you know, another option from the set pieces. Um, and just absolutely just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful player. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that the, that Liverpool game, that crucial game. Basically, it was the make or break for both clubs almost at the time. Yeah. Um, and I remember watching it. I, I'm not sure. What year was that? 2003-04, because it was right before um, Abramovich bought Chelsea. And the story was Roman was going to buy whichever. Chelsea, Tottenham and I think Liverpool were in the Champions League race. And the story was Roman was going to buy whoever bought Champions League. Buy whichever one, yeah. Because um, just before we got Rafa as well, um, because obviously we had, dude, it was it was Rafa Mourinho for, for Liverpool at the time mm. as well. Um, and it's just, it's crazy how things turn out. I remember watching that game and I was devastated because Chelsea had been really a nothing team. You know, they they just, they, they almost weren't considered um, as as rivals. And then I I thoroughly enjoyed the, the, the rivalry that Liverpool and Chelsea had going on the next four seasons. Yeah. Would have been, you know, with the European semi finals and just they they were they were excellent games. Doesn't matter what team obviously it wasn't great at the time for either team if you lost, but yeah. looking back now, they were they were incredible games to watch, like the drama. Two two of the best coaches tactically in the world at the time and Mourinho and Rafa. Um the players were just you know, you had Gerard and Lambert at their peak. Um, you had Carragher and Terry probably at their peak, you know, when you're for the English side of things. They had some great international players coming into the, the squads for it all. Um, and yeah, Zola at that time was just, I think it doesn't matter what we say about uh, Zola for me, it doesn't matter what you bring up. But for me, what he'll always be synonymous with is that Carragher clip where he, he, he actually makes Carragher look like one of us. Um, and this is a man who was claiming to be like a an England international and like vice captain of like one of the biggest teams in England. Um, and Zola made him look like an amateur. Um, I mean Ryan, Zola must have been at the peak of your like childhood watching, was he? Yeah, no, it's and, and you know that game where you know he just played with Carragher, didn't he? He was just like, come on, t- try and take it. Now come on, t- try and take it. And then eventually just like, oh, forget this. I'll turn you and see later. Um, and yeah, he always just absolute pure quality. You know, everything he did was just pure class. And he scored some absolutely great goals for us. The thing I'll always remember, and I'm sure he scored in that game, he definitely either got an assist or something was, I think it was the start of the 99-20 season, at 99-2000 season, um, my dad had, had basically taped all the Chelsea Match of the Day clips and put it on a VHS at the time. And uh, it was the opening game. We won 4-0. And I'm pretty certain he scored either the third or the fourth goal in that one. Um, but, yeah, I just, I'll always remember like those types of clips of Zola where he just was incredible. I'd, I'd like to think his legacy hasn't been tarnished like at all. I think the whole thing with Sarri, and I guess that, that did leave a bit of a sour taste in people's mouths from a Chelsea perspective that whole season. So, you know, 
it, it was sad to see Zola come back in that way, but he's always going to be connected to the club, and and I'm sure he'll always be welcome back. But he's a fantastic, he was a fantastic player for us, and it was always great to to have on those. You know, I had a Chelsea management game that I bought from the Chelsea Mega Store. Um, I think in like oh four or oh five or something, and he was uh, probably a little bit earlier than that. And he, you know, he was coming to the end then, but you'd always pick him regardless because of just how good he was. Yeah, and I think to to partner him up front again, you sort of need someone with the, if you've got the flair there, you just need a pure goal scorer. Um, so I've gone for Raúl at Real Madrid, uh, and then later also for his time at Schalke. Um, Raúl was one of those players that, to me, still baffles that Spain won so much towards the end of his career, and yet he wasn't part of it. And he's just an unbelievable, unbelievable goal scorer. Someone's one of those players that was just a goal machine uh, when he was at Real Madrid at the peak of his sort of power. You know, you would look at games and you would see sort of the Real Madrid sort of lineup um, through that era. They players would sort of come and go um, in that era. People like Morientes, Ronaldo, later on sort of Kaká, um, Hierro, even Ronaldo, and there would just always be Raúl and would just continue just scoring and scoring and scoring. And it wasn't as, you know, I'm not going to pretend he was some sort of great, sort of brilliant, sort of, um, sort of, you know, artist in terms of the types of goals he scored, but was just so unbelievably sort of consistent with his scoring. And that's one of those things I think is really underrated, especially in sort of early years when there were so many sort of Galacticos coming through. This was a man who sort of saw that new policy coming in and, rather than sort of hiding from it, stepped up to the challenge and just said, you know, well, if they're going to be this good, I'm going to be as good as them. And was just absolutely, you know, absolutely brilliant. Um, um, yeah, I remember the Real Madrid sort of winning the Champions Leagues in sort of 2000, 2002, and Raul, again, a major main sort of part of that, was captain at the club um, for sort of a long period. And, yeah... Uh, sort of just scored so many, so many goals. Wasn't, you know, I'm not going to pretend he was some sort of, you know, artist with the ball in the way he's scoring. It wasn't as if he scored, you know, worldies every single time. Um, but just such a consistent player. And I think that's one of the issues that, like one of those things that people underrate nowadays, especially from strikers, is that there's always this need to hit 30 goals a season or 35 a season. And it comes back to that Messi-Ronaldo thing again, where... I would, and perhaps I'm, you know, wrong with this. I would much rather have three strikers where all of them contributed sort of 20 goals a season across all comps than have one striker score 40 in all comps. Because it's that consistency and that ability that you need players to step up when the others aren't performing. And Raul just sort of had that. And then afterwards had one of the strangest transfers because went to Schalke on a free transfer. And Schalke were okay at the time, but. They weren't absolutely brilliant. And he struck up a partnership with uh, Klaus-Jan Huntelaar, who, if he'd have been retired, the Hunter may well have been partnering Zola up front because I absolutely love the Hunter. But they're just such a brilliant partnership of the two of them that were just such pure goal scorers. And Schalke at the time had sort of people like Draxler coming through in behind and other great players sort of creatively for them. And he just sort of, he didn't quite find his goal scoring form as much as he did at Madrid, but he still ended his time in the Bundesliga with 66 appearances and 28 goals sort of across the two seasons and in total sort of 40 goals across 98 appearances. Just the mark of a pure, pure goal scorer. I can't believe it's the first time he's been picked in this podcast um, between this series or when we did it before. Uh, I'm just trying to think. Yeah, no, because it was still... I think... He would have been retired then. Ryles, maybe the... Isn't he the all-time Champions League, or he was up until very recently, the most goals in the Champions League? Um, his, as you say, he's just, his time, I can't speak much on the, his time at Schalke, um, apart from seeing the stats and what you said out there, his goals to game ratio, but his time at Real Madrid, he was he was just phenomenal. Um, again, I, I, I speak quite open, like, Madrid were my, everybody... Like um, about my age, you know, I always had a, an international team that they they followed and kind of half supported. Um, and Madrid was always mine, the pure white kits. And again, he was part of that Madrid team from basically when I started watching it, right through the Galacticos. He, you know, he survived it all, and he was he was Mister Real Madrid. And I say it was just a very strange to see him not being there and playing for somebody else. 
Exactly that. And, I, you know, I still find it odd that even when it came towards the end of his sort of career, and again, I appreciate sort of internationally, they had so many quality sort of options up front, but I still find it amazing he didn't get a cap after the eight, after sort of 2006 for Spain. Um, because you'd have thought he'd be the sort of perfect mentor in many ways and sort of mentor figure in the squad, I suppose, to the likes of your Torreses and Villa, who was sort of coming through at that time. I mean, I'm not going to pretend Spain didn't do rather well. Yeah, they, did, they did okay without him, to be fair. So, Torres and Villa is, a, is another debate that we'll, we'll, we'll have many a time, though, I believe, eh, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, is it... Is... You probably would say, but... In a way, because of the Galacticos and, and all the players that Raul Madrid have brought in, almost Raul is, and I think that's probably why he's not never really been picked, he's, he's almost overlooked a little bit for you people like your Ronaldo's and your Ronaldinho's. I mean, yep. Ronaldo probably more specifically. Um, but you, you look at the, the goal-scoring record, and I, I definitely remember those years and of playing a lot of those football games and Raul would always be the player that you'd end up picking for your striker because no matter what position you'd be on the pitch in in terms of near goal, you know that he'd probably score it. The consistency and, and Rob, your point about the yeah, you you'd want three people scoring twenty goals, twenty five goals each, rather than one person mm-hmm. scoring forty because obviously it's it's better to spread the load in, you know, in case of injuries, etc. But Raul was yeah, I said I don't know if he if he has been overlooked or whatever, but he's just so good, clinical in front of goal, and he was never super super flashy, you know, like a lot of those Gatticos were, except you know, you know, showing off, doing everything. But you know, we've talked on this pod before about players that would almost right. My job is in this scenario was to score goals. He'd go on the pitch, score goals, and then leave. You know, that would be that would be the. The thing of it, and yeah, he never needed to do anything too flashy because his job was to score goals, and he did it. And I absolutely love that about him. Yeah, I mean, he's runner up in Ballon d'Or, um, you know, best striker in the world in '99, um, fifth highest goal scorer in La Liga history. Um, as I said, he was I'm pretty sure up until recently, and well, obviously with Messi and Ronaldo's ridiculousness in goals, but sure he was the highest scorer in the Champions League. Um, history up until maybe two seasons ago, three seasons ago, just so consistent as you say, Rob, about the goals. You know, he he averages goal every three games, um, which again up until you know the recent ridiculous records that set by Ronaldo's Messi's Lewandowski's, like that that's a cracking consistency. If you're getting that out of, out of your forward um, on a consistent basis, you know you're you're doing well. Like teams are crying out for that sort of style just now. Yeah, I mean, in a few years, I will say, when he does retire, uh, Robert Lewandowski will be taking Raul's place. Mm. Because he's, um, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, if he'd been retired now, I'd be waxing lyrical about Lewandowski, because he's absolutely wonderful. But I'd, in many ways, him and Raul are sort of quite similar players, because although they're wonderful goal scorers, they also do so much off the ball for teammates. Yes. And that's one of the big things I think people forget about Raul, is that in that Galacticos team, like, you know, as well as being a pure goal scorer... He got so many assists and had such a partnership with so many. Like the partnership with Morientes, for instance, was one of the things that won them the Champions League. And yeah, just absolutely brilliant, brilliant player. I've been coming back to my 11. I think it's probably time to choose the captain. Um, I'll give you both actually a guess before uh, before I go ahead. I'm going to see Michael Ballack. I was going to say the same. I think that's who I was going to go with out of the 11. Yeah. Uh, you, you both be correct. It was Balak, and then the close counter to it was uh, probably uh, Carvalho, because I know you know he's also been captain before. And then Seni also spent a long time. But yeah, Balak just like the clip of seeing him screaming at the re- uh, um, of the oh, God, yeah, line. Like you know, that's the sort of if you wanted to sort of go into sort of a match of a teammate and have someone on your side, that's the sort of guy you'd want absolutely hollering. So I don't necessarily agree with browbeating referees <laughs> situations. Like that. But to have a guy with that much passion and that much enthusiasm and want to win, and that's one of the things to me that like you know people don't talk about enough in modern players and with people like Balak is the mentality side of it, just that sheer refusal to accept anything but the absolute best, and that's you know the sort of reason why he's my captain. All the correct decisions in that case in that in that game in particular, but you know. 
I've just I've scrubbed that game, you know, the Barcelona <laughs> game out of my memory as much as I can. You, you mentioned the mentality thing. Like, I mean, the three of us can account. It's it's probably what's missing out of both our teams at the moment. You know, just having those those leader types. Yeah. In the middle of the park, like obviously we had Gerard back then. You you guys had Lampard. You just want, actually, to be fair, you guys were full full of leaders. Um, you know, but the the Balak, the Lampard, Essien when he was there, you know, that demand it just it, I, I feel it's not there in a lot of modern football teams nowadays and it's why we I think it's why we look so fondly back on the Balaks and how many times have we had like a Roy Keane on Ryan or a um, mm. Vieira, you know, those type of players. It's why we look on those players so fondly because you know that the passion was there and it was it was almost the demand, as you say, it was they didn't accept anything less and um, I I love the ballot but right before we run through your team, Rob. Though, um, um obviously you mentioned the, the 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 Chelsea four, the you know the Lampard, the Drogba, the Terry, and who was the other one? Um, uh, was it Essien you mentioned? That Lampard, you were, Lampard, right? uh, Lampard, Drogba, Terry, and Czech. And Czech, Czech that's the one. Yeah. Um. So, like you explained why you didn't pick them. Was there, was there any other players who came close to being picked? Oh, they were, I mean, there were all sorts of them. Uh, Mark Schwartz are purely for keeping that clean sheet in 2014 against Liverpool, um, which, again, I've tried not to um, mention that. Roberto Carlos being, you know, the Brazilian Ian Hart at left back. Um, other sort of, uh, some more, less sort of obvious um, names. Uh, Salad Halehozovic in the midfield for being the ex-Hoffenheim uh, midfielder that just used to score some absolutely ridiculous long-range shots from the Bundesliga. And then the probably the strangest and um, sort of saddest one, because, it, yeah, it would have been Rob the crew, was Michael Essien, because I think if he... I, I always say that 2009, in that game in 2009, Rob Michael, uh, Rob Michael Essien, the chance of being a Chelsea legend, because I think if Chelsea had won that game, they would have gone through to the final, and just based on the fact they wanted to redeem themselves for the previous year, I think they would have won it. I think United were a better side that year, but I think Chelsea would have had the nous and the grit and the determination to go through. And after that, he kept having consistent injuries and there were so many sort of problems. And it just sort of faded into sort of ignominy, sort of in many ways, which is so sad because on his day, he was the best midfielder at the club and was the best in the world. No, yeah, that's fair. Um, well, it's a cracking team. Ryan, do you want to run through it? Yeah, I'll go for it. Yeah, sure. So in goal, you had uh, Rodrigo Seni, and then you had a back four of Belletti, Kevin O'Connor, uh, Ricardo <laughs> Cavalier, and Ian Hart. And then the midfield of Damien Duff, uh, Peter Levin, Michael Ballack, Juan Arango, and then up front you had the amazing Gianfranco Zola and Rahul. I like the structure of the team. Very well thought out. Um, I can see where each player fits from, obviously, the ones we don't know, and you, the way you've described them. Um, and then, obviously, I just... The front two might be two of my favourite players that that I really haven't been mentioned. Zola's been picked once before, I believe. Um, but that's Ryle's first time. Um, and it still shocks me that it's his first time being picked. Um but yeah, no, thank you very much for coming on, Rob. Um, do you want to let the listeners know where they can find you online and anything that you're you're doing at the moment? I don't know if you write any articles or yeah, you're doing yeah. any podcasts. So you can catch me, uh, sort of, you know, often usually ranting about Chelsea and or football manager at RJP Journalism, uh, and then also check out if you're a Chelsea fan, check out at the Chelsea Social and at the CFCW Social for amazing sort of multimedia content, videos, articles, edits, clips. Um, interviews all sorts of great sort of content about Chelsea across sort of both teams and yeah we love to give a real fair coverage to both sides of it which is it's really close to my heart so yeah no thank you very much for having me and it was great fun to sort of talk you through some of the names I don't think you expected to <laughs> in this list yeah no absolutely that's what again that's what that's why the show was created for those type of players and stories um Ryan let them know where they can find you and I assume you have nothing out at the moment Nothing out at the moment, but you can yeah you can see me also ranting about Chelsea on Twitter uh, at the Ryan Goodman, and you can find us at Man in the Post on all your social media platforms. Um, if you're on Apple, give us a five star rating and review in the review center, um, and however you else you get your podcast, whatever way you can, just give us a support, give us a retweet, give us a follow. If you'd like to come on and put your team together like Rob has, um, just give me a message. Um, 
give the, the, the group a message and we will arrange to get you on now that we have Ryan back regularly. We're going to keep these, keep these coming through. Um, so yeah, just give us a like and follow. Uh, the, we have the Thursday guys who will release their shows every Friday. I'm not going to say what day we're on because I don't know when this will actually come out. <laughs> um, me, Dave and Simon will have the weekend review shows out every Monday, Tuesday morning and man and the 11 pieces of me, um, that you're hearing now with Rob, um, all the past archive ones will be there and any future ones will be out on a, on a Thursday morning. So again, just try and support all our guys. Interact with us as much as you can on social media. Um, cause we do enjoy it. Um, thank you very much, Rob, for joining us. Thanks very much for Ryan for my course again. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And always remember to keep your man in the post. <laughs>